Hello, and welcome to the Govern This podcast. This is a political podcast for non-political people, where we ask the simple and ignorant questions about our country and government and get them answered. In this episode, I get to talk with Andrew Reeve, a political science graduate who works in the WHIP's office at the legislature. He is also currently the campaign manager for Squamalma Chosen Liberal candidate Barb Desjardins. learn anything yet. Okay, so Andrew blew open a bunch of doors for me in this chat, and I want to share one thing right off the top that he said uh, halfway through our conversation. He said, politics is about helping people. What people don't like about politics, but is the necessity of politics, is that people disagree on how it's best to help people. Damn, right? I think it's got a great way of explaining things, and most of what we talked about, we only touched on. But I hope to have him back uh, after the election to delve into all of this stuff more deeply. He wanted me to note at this point that all of the thoughts and opinions he gives here are his alone, and he is not speaking on behalf of any party or of any candidate. It's just Andrew here, folks. So here's a few teasers um, of the things that we cover. We cover a ton of stuff. It's almost an hour and a half talk. So I want to give you just a little inkling of what will be coming throughout the chat. First, uh, we dig into his background and how he got to leading a campaign for this election and how he got to working at the WHIP's office. Uh, We talk about different voting styles party-based, local candidate-based, or issue-based, the lack of civic and political education, and how people often don't vote, not because they're angry so much, but that they don't feel educated enough or worthy enough to do so. We also touch on the differences in some of the political parties and the differences of the federal versus the provincial versions of those parties, which I didn't really know. I didn't know about that so much. Um, He shares a great tip on preparing for this election and how we should look at our current MLAs and what they did or didn't do over the past four years to see where we want change and what we'd like to see differently done in the next four years in our communities. Then we can look at the candidates running now for this election and see who fits into that framework. He also lets me know about the uh, political parties platforms that are all online. The major parties all have a platform online that you can download and read. They're quite extensive and how we should all take a little bit of time to read through and scrutinize them, not just go on the media sound bites that are out there from each party or how people are pushing this or that that they're saying or how they're slamming other parties. Let's dig into what they actually say they're going to do and what they figured out, like the way they figured out to do it. And it's all online in their party platforms. And then we address some of the issues that are coming up in this campaign, like Sightsee Dam, uh, donations for the parties, trickle-down economics and daycare and such like that. 
He also does a not too bad Donald Trump impression that uh, I got a kick out of. So with that, I hope that you guys listen to the whole chat. It's really engaging and I think it's stellar. So here it is with Andrew Reeve. All right, on today's podcast, I've got Andrew Reeve with me. He's a campaign manager for the Liberal Party in Esquimalt. Is that correct? Uh, the writing was Esquimalt Machosen. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, welcome, Andrew, to the Governance Podcast. Thanks for having me. All right. Um, I was excited to talk to you because I just talked to a Green candidate, and I'd like to get some views on some of the stuff he was mentioning. Um, but first, I would like to talk about just voting a little bit. Um, you are a political science student, or were as well, right? Uh, yeah, I studied uh, poli-sci at UVic uh, in 2010 to 2014. So you got some background, so you can answer some questions. I'd like to think so, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So why don't we start off with um, with voting? One thing I found out is that, is it 52% or something of people are voting? Or, like, it's it's really low. Uh, we, we have fairly low voter turnouts. It depends on which uh, level of government. Um, more people vote at the federal level than, say, the municipal level. Oh. Uh, it's usually, it's far less than 50% at the municipal level. So it's actually what political scientists call a democratic deficit. You have you have less people uh, participating in the democratic process than than the pop, than half of the population. So In, in the provincial? Uh, that That's it, municipal. Usually m- municipal can be around 40% or 25 it, It's quite low municipally. Uh, provincially, you, it starts to get up higher, and then federally is, is generally the highest turnout. So that poses an interesting question, because what I'm starting to learn now from talking to people is that I always kind of thought they were all, they all work together. Well, I mean, they do work together, but, <laughs> but like federal, that's federal stuff I'm finding out now, and provincial does provincial and they don't they don't all do the same things yeah there's so, a there's a there's a devolution of power you see all, all the power is technically up at the federal level and then the federal government decides uh, or decided long ago what is and is not uh, something that they're actively going to be involved in in legislating so things like education and healthcare they devolve that responsibility to the provinces, right. which is why you have different uh, models of healthcare. If you compare British Columbia and Alberta, Alberta has uh, a hybrid model where there's a lot more uh, private clinics and private healthcare available. Uh, British Columbia, uh, there there are st- there are some private clinics and whatnot, but it's still mostly uh, from the government. See, I didn't know that. I didn't know there's so things were such. Sp- so split up. Yeah, and um, and it was decided a long time ago. So new things that uh, the you know when we were con- when confederation was happening couldn't be envisioned like say telecommunications that when it gets put in it's it's immediately at this federal level because uh, what they say was to the provinces, obviously, they didn't know internet was going to be a thing. Right. So when you need to talk about the government's role in internet, the federal government just jumps at that because that's that's something new that wasn't foreseen when they said, okay, well, the province, you're dealing with education and health care and whatnot. So they kind of take it over until they decide that they don't need to be the ones in charge of it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then you have the province then devolve some of its responsibilities to the municipalities. So city councils... Uh, are are given their authority by the province, which is why you have things uh, like the sewage issue, where if municipalities, especially here in in Greater Victoria, where you have 13 
municipalities yeah. all, all all fighting and often disagreeing in this in the this area sometimes the province goes in and says you guys need to play ball you've been bickering with your own little 13 fiefdoms for too long right. nothing's getting done we have the authority to come in here and, and make you uh, get your shit together right so going back to the voting and how many people get into it with the different the municipal and the provincial and the federal does it in my mind i always you kind of think like federal they're the ones who are taking care of things so that's the most important but what i'm starting to realize is when i was talking to jeremy in the other episode he was saying that what they do at city council is probably it affects us mostly day to day yeah I- so we should be caring a whole hell of a lot more about this municipal and provincial area. I, I agree. I, I don't agree with Jeremy Loveday on a lot of things, but on, <laughs> on this, uh, he and I are on the same page. Right. The If the federal government shut down or stopped working today, uh, I doubt anyone here in Victoria would notice, uh, unless you say you were collecting EI payments, you would know that your check didn't show up. Right. But aside from that, you wouldn't notice. Provincial government, you also wouldn't notice immediately. If the municipal government shut down, all the functions that the municipality takes care of, you would know the day of because your garbage wouldn't get picked up, right. your your sewage, all of the things that are our daily lives, you know, your roads not being cleared and things like that, That that's municipal responsibility. So I know you've got me here to talk about provincial stuff, but I do I do have to say that yeah. the municipal government is, is the most vital and important thing in, in your daily lives, for sure. The federal government's dealing with things like, you know, external relations, like, you know, whether or not uh, what our position is on Russia and in, in their invasion of the Ukraine. That's not necessarily affecting average Joe taxpayer right. here in Esquimalt. Okay, we're going to have to talk about that one day. <laughs> we're, I think we're going to have to have a few conversations. So, getting back to voting, um, and let's let's yeah, let's go to the provincial. Now, I can I can go off too and get all That's excited okay. about I, these things. Uh, <laughs> I have a bad track record with, track record with that too. <laughs> so, why aren't people voting as much? Like, do you, is are they just disillusioned? Are they don't think it's going to matter? Do they not trust? And how do we change that? It's it's tough. I think everyone has their own individual reasons for for what for why they don't vote. Uh, I know a lot of people that can't be bothered to read up on it because I, I think a lot of it comes down to a lack of education. Right. We don't teach enough civics in school. Like when when you're going through the school system, did did you go to school here in BC? No, or? Alberta, but that was so long ago. Did did you did you <laughs> did your teachers? You have a class on civics where they talk. I mean, where, I where, no the idea. fact that this podcast exists and you're trying to find this information yeah. tells me that that's that that wasn't something, and it and it's not across Canada and the United States. There's a real lack of civic education where people don't understand how government works, how bills get passed, how laws become laws. And when you don't have that and you don't have knowledge of how the process works or or the importance of it, a lot of people don't uh, feel that it's really their duty to vote. And a lot of people, it's not a hostile thing. It's a lot of people say, oh, well, people don't vote. They, they don't care and they're, they're, they're mad and, and they're disenfranchised. Okay. A lot of the time people don't want to vote because they don't feel that they're they're smart enough to vote. They feel, oh, well, oh. I don't know the issues. Uh, I, I, m- most people can't go on and say, when we're talking about federal, uh, federal responsibility, a lot of those things are, are at that macro level. And when you don't have a firm grasp of it, you don't feel qualified to make a decision, right? That's a good point. And, and so some people feel stupid. 
It's it's not it's often not about people angrily saying, "Well, I'm not going to vote." Those people tend to vote and you know screw up their ballots or whatever as a as a civic disobedience type thing. Okay. But the people that aren't going out and voting are either too busy, uh, they don't they don't prioritize it, and and they don't feel like they're they're educated enough. They don't know who to vote for, and then the media plays a, a very important role in that. Where you turn on the TV. And you see just constant bickering and then one candidate calling another candidate a liar. And especially these days, it's a hell of a lot of work to find out what the truth is. Well, and I find like Trump proves that (laughs) I'm afraid. (laughs) And, and I find that when I look at like, if I go online or if I, they're talking about things that I don't really know that much about even. So I'd have to like research that to see if I agree with their opinion really. Right. So it's, it, yeah, it's all, way over my head so and that's why i started this podcast because i wanted to mm-hmm. i was like i should finally learn about this you know i'm getting older and i usually just called up a friend and i was like do i trust it and i'm like what do you what do you think i should do yeah and and i'm tired of that and i think everywhere i looked to learn about it it was I, I, you already had to have an understanding to know what they were talking about right so yeah i want to bring it down so if, we've got what two weeks left uh, we have 16 days until 16 the provincial days. election, yeah. Okay, so what would be, if someone's just starting now to look at things and they're like, I've got 30 minutes, maybe an hour every day or two to put into this, mm-hmm. where would be the best place for them to go to well, get an understanding? I, I would say, first of all, find out who your local MLA is and has been for the past four years. And look into oh. what they've done locally for you. Because this isn't the first election. We have elections every four years. It's, right. You've had somebody representing you for the past four years. Go in, you know, Wikipedia your where, where you live and, and find out who your MLA is. And then look into their track record. What have they actually accomplished for the uh, the local community? And then once you're looking in that, say, oh, well, oh, they built that rec center. And, and I, I like using that rec center. Maybe that's something that you're, you're really happy to support them because you can see the actual change that they've made in your community, right. whether it's actually at the legislative level where they've been actively put, pursuing, you know, a bill or a special interest that they wanted to get introduced, or if it's just them being very active in the community. They come out to all the community events. They're they're accessible. There's somebody that if you have a problem, you can go to their office and they're actually going to take the time to listen to you. That's the important stuff that I think most voters care more. I mean, those of us in the bubble that are that are partisan, we're very much in that bubble and we can't, it's, it's hard to see out of sometimes, but right. your average voter, they are not voting on party lines uh, religiously. They're voting on who, uh, who represents them the best and whether or not they're happy with the performance of, of their MLA. So it's not a brand loyalty thing for a lot of people. Unlike partisans like me, it's, it's loyalty to our brand, essentially uh, right. your, your okay. team. It's tribal. Uh, your average person isn't like that. They don't, they don't follow politics to that insane level, and I, and you're saying about how you want to, you know, you want to you want to find out, you want to delve into this, and and by the end of your first season of this podcast, you'll probably be pretty pretty knowledgeable. Uh, <laughs> and then and, and 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 but the problem is, then suddenly you're in the bubble. Yeah. Now you're now you're one of us, and you're following everything religiously, and you know exactly what you know what the status of that bill is, and and the changes that that's going to make. And the status of all these things that now normal people don't care about. And now suddenly, once you're once you're really informed and into it, you're in the bubble, and now you're not a normal person. And you can't. That's one of the first <laughs> things that I that I learned in politics, at least. Um, I 
Alfred Apps used to be the president of, of the federal liberals uh, nationally when I first got involved. And, and he told me, never, never forget that you are not normal. If you pay this much attention to politics, you're not a normal human being. You're out, you are in a tiny, tiny percentage of the population that paid this much attention to politics. But so he- your own views don't no longer reflect what the average voter thinks. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I can see that. But doesn't it, but it, shouldn't politics just be like us taking care of each other? Like, really? So, so if you're in deep with it, doesn't that just mean that you want people to live well? Like, I, I think you can, you know, mo- most people that go into politics have, have good intentions. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's when you get there, a lot of people then find out, oh, well, those people are going to disagree with me almost no matter, especially nowadays, modern politics is very tribal. So when you have people that will disagree with anything you say, no matter the no matter whether or not it's factual, just the fact that it's coming out of your mouth and you are labeled with a certain political party, mm. people that associate with a different political party won't care uh, what comes out of your mouth. Interesting. Okay, so... So going back to what you said, which is really, really good point, I think, is is looking who your MLA has been the past four years mm-hmm. and what you liked and disliked maybe about them. So if you want that to continue or if you want it to change, and then you can look at the new candidates or the candidates and see which ones fill the, those holes. Yeah. Right. That's so good. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> You're welcome. Because <laughs> I was just like looking at the new people like... But that's a really good point. Um, so, so with that, and and what you're saying about the party lines kind of thing, is it better to just focus on your riding and not put too much weight onto what's like the major part party? Ah. Like that, that's gonna that's a decision that people have to make for themselves there's and and that's not something that I can answer for anybody yeah. other than myself. There are some people that will vote based on the candidate, yeah, the majority of voters I think conventional wisdom in this is that something like eighty five percent of voters vote for uh either the leader of the party or or the party itself. 10% vote for the candidate themselves so that their final decision is made up by who the local candidate is, not not the party. Okay. And then 5% are policy wonks. And those are people that will vote on a on an issue. So in, in the last federal election, I would say that it probably was a little more than 5%. A lot of people got out and mobilized because of uh, the federal liberal promise to legalize marijuana. Mm-hmm. That was an issue that spoke to a lot of people. And whether or not they were traditional liberal voters, the fact that the federal liberals were the only ones coming out and saying, we're going to legalize pot. It's, it's, it's a stupid policy to be putting people in jail for this. Uh, it helps put uh, money in the pockets of organized crime. It's not safe. It's easier for people, for kids to get uh, pot at their high school than it is to get uh, alcohol, because alcohol, you yeah. have to find somebody old enough to boot, and it's a whole thing. Whereas at, at weed, there's somebody uh, that, that's selling some out of their locker at high yeah. school, right? Uh, all, all of those things. They were coming out with a really smart proposal and saying, let's end prohibition on marijuana. And and so 5%, it'll probably was more in this last election, of people voted because they were passionate about that one issue. So 85 for party slash leader, 
10 for your local candidates, 5% for policies. Hmm. So, see, my question... And none of those people are wrong. You are not right. wrong to vote solely on an issue. You're not wrong to vote because you really like this person locally that's running. And you're not wrong to say, I'm supporting the liberals no matter who the candidate is because I like them. Uh, it's all what people personally prioritize. So I can't tell somebody whether or not they should really put who they want as their local representative above what party they want to be in power or form government. I, it's it's totally uh, up, up to the voter. That's... It, it's. It. <laughs> Oh, it gets so complicated for me. <laughs> I mean, I think it's partially how my brain works, but because I want to, it's, it, it seems like a math problem that I want to figure out and there should be an answer for me, but I don't know if there is like, I might like one person of a certain party better and, but I might want a different party, you know, in power, but how do I, it, and so then strategic voting, I wonder about that too. And I know some people are like, never do that. What's your thought on strategic and, and actually how that works? Right. Okay. So you want me to explain strategic voting first? Yeah, sure. uh, so strategic voting is when you are voting against uh, a party, but not necessarily the party that you want to get in. So if say uh, in the, in the, it was, it was a big thing in this last election where uh, there were people were unhappy with uh, prime minister, Stephen Harper. And they said, I'm, I'm an ABC voter. I'm anything but conservative. And they decided okay. that because their dislike of Stephen Harper and the conservatives was greater than any loyalty to any of the three parties, they would vote, or three other parties, they would vote for whichever of those parties in, that, in their riding had the better chance of beating the conservative. So that, that's strategic voting in a nutshell. Okay. It's, it's, it's voting, it's strategically putting your vote in, not necessarily for someone or party that you believe in or you think represents your values, but that has the best chance of ensuring that the other guy that you really, really don't want to win doesn't win. Okay. Uh, and, and this is another thing. If people want to vote that way, then that, that's, their, that's their right. And, and we've seen, especially in, this, in, in the last federal election, it was a very controversial thing because a lot of people believe you know, you should be principled, you should vote your values. And then they also get upset when people are strategic voting for against what they believe in, but not for the party that they <laughs> that they want. So you had NDP supporters being quite upset that uh, these strategic voting folks would advocate for a liberal in many writings saying, well, he's got the better chance of beating the conservatives. Right. And then they would get very upset saying, well, no, that you, who, who are you to say that we, that our, our, you shouldn't vote for us because of Stephen Harper, but we're putting together the ideas that we think best for. So <laughs> people get very tetchy about it. And, and you often, because things are on partisan lines, you would get those same people that are upset that you're not voting for their NDP candidate also saying, well, here in uh, Victoria, the liberals, uh, the liberals aren't going to, they're not going to win. So you better vote for R. Murray Rankin, the NDP candidate, because uh, you, you can't let Steve. So, so there's, there's an awful lot of hypocrisy when it comes to strategic voting, hmm. because it, the people that get upset of it are partisan and they're happy when it benefits them. And then they're not happy when it doesn't. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not actually as bad of a thing. I really, it's really interesting how you talk about the partisan and it, because that's, like you said, it's mostly the people in that bubble that are yes. really into politics and mm -hmm. everyone else is just 
kind of just wants things good. Yeah, like we just <laughs> right now there's a, there's an election that's been called in the United Kingdom, and uh, a woman on I think she was on Twitter she put together a strategic voting spreadsheet and she put every riding in the UK on a spreadsheet and and it was voting against the the conservatives who the Tories who are currently in power in in the UK and it was who is the candidate in in swing ridings where the Tory might lose like not their really safe riding who is the candidate that is best likely to beat them and right. it was it was basically a strategic voting cheat sheet and she put it out on the internet <clears throat> and did hashtag tactical 2017 or something like that <laughs> uh and then it went viral because there's a whole lot of people that don't have the time to put in the research yeah. themselves but know that they don't want uh, Theresa May and the Conservatives reelected in the UK, and then they're going to follow this sheet. And then, of course, you get other people going, "Well, no, uh, in my writing, that says you should vote for the guy that I don't like, and therefore I- I'm not comfortable with this." And and who's this one woman to put the research in, and, and maybe she's biased, and me. So it it's often very complicated. But you get these situations where somebody cares enough about an issue, they don't want the Conservatives reelected in the UK, they put together a spreadsheet, and then the thing goes viral. Hmm. All right. Okay. So there's been a voting. I, d- man, I could I could just listen to you talk about this stuff for a while. <laughs> but let's switch gears now. Um, so you're running the campaign for Barb Barb Dujard Dujard, and it's that's in Esquimalt, chosen riding, correct? Right in Victoria or on the island here, you yep. see. And so let's just talk about how you got into that position. Okay. At, at at your age, well, you've got a whole list of things that I'd love to talk about, but let's start with this current one now. Well, I, I guess we have to give you a, l- a little bit of backstory on myself. All right, uh, let's do that, yeah. I, I wasn't involved in politics until uh, I was studying political science. I started in 2010, but I wasn't closely associated with the party. I identified as a liberal, but I wasn't closely identified with the party until about 2011 after the federal liberals took a, a terrible beating in that federal election. They went from uh, being being opposition to, to the Harper Tories to the third party. The NDP surpassed them. The liberals were decimated to, I think, 34 or 35 seats out of 308 total uh, in the House. So they, they and, were... And that's that's the federal, you said? Right? Yeah, yeah. So that's the seats... That, that's the, the, ridings uh, at the federal level across the country. So there, at the time, there were 308... That, that's how the country was divided into okay. 308 ridings. Okay. And of those, the liberals won 34 or 35. So a, okay. a paltry amount. And, and, I had, and I thought to myself, well, I can't really be too upset about this because I, what was I doing to influence that result? Mm-hmm. Well, I, wasn't, I wasn't involved. So that was my sort of impetus to get involved. And just by happen chance, the, uh, federal, the, the federal liberals, BC, not, not the BC liberals, but the federal liberals in BC were having a convention that happened to be in Victoria later that year. And I got involved and there was a, there was a young liberal speaking contest. And I thought, Oh, I, I like to speak. I like to give yeah. speeches. And I, I entered that and I ended up winning it with a, with a, a really boring speech on taxes. If you ask me now, <laughs> looking back, uh, and, and then the prize for, I guess the, what you got for winning was you got to introduce the keynote speaker. And that was Bob Ray, who was the leader of the uh, liberals before Justin Trudeau. Okay. And uh, after that, I people would come up to me and oh, that was a great speech. It was great. And it, it kind of infamously became known as the uh, the roast of Bob Ray. Not not something that I you know someone new into the political field was doing on purpose. But I I suddenly had 
a, a one day deadline to write a speech to introduce somebody yeah. that I really didn't know that well and had no interactions with previously. So I did a whole shtick on how uh, everything that I knew about Bob Ray was from his Wikipedia page. So I gave a whole speech <laughs> about Bob Ray according to his Wikipedia page. Uh, and people thought it was really funny. And nice. that then suddenly I went from a guy that nobody nobody knew who I was to, oh, you're that guy that roasted Bob Ray. And <laughs> there so, you go. So and, and it was playful and Bob appreciated it. Uh, he wasn't yeah. upset about it. But suddenly I went from somebody that nobody really knew to uh, people knew who Andrew was. Oh, he's that young kid. Uh, right. So that put me in a position to actually get further involved with my local riding association. Those are the organizations uh, that each party has in every riding. So there's the Liberals in Victoria, the NDP in Victoria, the Greens in Victoria, and that's that each one has a, a riding president and a, and a board, essentially, okay. uh, of you know a treasurer and directors and whatnot, and they coordinate all the parties' activities in that riding. So there's there would be 308 of them across Canada. Okay. Uh, so <clears throat> within, I think, a year and a half of of that speech, I, I was the president of the riding association here in, in Victoria, uh, that made me this, I think, the second youngest riding president uh, across the country. Okay, yeah, I read about that, but I was like, I didn't know what it was. <laughs> yeah, so that put me just in a position where I was in charge of uh, doing a lot of networking, getting a lot of people involved in the party, and, and recruiting members, and raising money, and putting on events. So it, w it was really invaluable for, for meeting people and getting involved in the political right. scene locally. Uh, and then in 2014, I, I ran for Victoria City Council. Right. Uh, I came within 2.6, 2.7% of, of getting a seat. And, and, and I had, I kind of ran my campaign myself. I didn't have a campaign manager. Okay. It was, it was municipal and I didn't have a ton of money. I, I spent, I think about $9,000 on, on the run, which was, uh, nothing compared to, you know, the, the kind of money that often gets put into some of these campaigns. Really? Wow. Um, but I think I did pretty well for that amount of by the money per well, vote. I, I think so, I did, yeah. I did pretty well. Uh, and then, so I, I had that sort of experience of managing a campaign, even though I was also the candidate. And then uh, I was still, I was still the federal liberal president at the time. And then, fast forward to the 2015 federal election, I was the riding president in Victoria. And then there was a candidate up in Cowich and Malahat, Langford, and she had some said some controversial things on. Uh, 9-11. Uh, she was a, she, she believed the, the true facts of it weren't out. One of the sort of a conspiracy theorist. Okay. And as, as happens every election, there's a few candidates that just didn't get vetted thoroughly. And then something comes out once the election begins and, and then all the other parties go resign. This candidate needs to resign. Uh, you can't, how could you, how could the liberals have someone that thinks 9-11 was an inside job being their candidate? So she stepped down and then suddenly there was this gap. There was no liberal in that writing. And I think it was about maybe three and a half weeks, less than four weeks until the election. And there wasn't a candidate in that writing. So the party asked me, despite being involved here in Victoria, to uh, step down and take on the role of uh, managing that campaign. Oh. Basically just a sprint to the finish with a new a new candidate, uh, Luke Cranhoff, who had already been vetted by the party because he... Uh, ran for the nomination in Esquimalt, okay. but uh, didn't didn't win it. 
but he'd already been vetted. So it was, you're, you're qualified. We know you haven't said anything crazy because you've been <laughs> vetted. Uh, are you willing to step up and do this for us? So, and, and he had ties to the writing. His wife was a school teacher there. So he said, he said, yes. And they said, Andrew, will you, will you go up to, to Mill Bay and, and run this campaign? So, so we did. I took leave from my job for about three weeks and we ran, we ran a nonstop kind of crazy campaign. And, uh, the riding hadn't existed before, but if you looked at the vote totals, the Liberals had, I think, about 6% of the vote. It was not a strong Liberal riding, and uh, we took that up, but we increased that by 200%, uh, and we came in second. So we were in fourth behind the Greens, say, at the beginning, if you looked at the polls, and in the end, we uh, we came in second. And it was just a, it, it was a crazy campaign. It was a lot of fun. None of us were really expecting to, to win. It was just a, let's make sure that people in that riding that want to vote Liberal have someone that they can vote for because it's there, there were liberals there and it's a disservice to them to say we're not running a candidate here because this woman resigned and, and now right. you have to vote for a green or an NDP or a conservative and, right. and and we don't value your right to vote for our party. So we did that and, and that was a lot of fun and kind of uh, had my first experience as being like a true a campaign manager in, in a party environment and then flash forward to, to now 2017 and we are uh, have our provincial election, and I've been involved with the with the BC Liberals. I was working at the legislature in the Whips office, and uh, all political staff aren't allowed to work at the legislature once the writ is dropped and the election's called. So I don't have a job right now. Oh. <laughs> it was essentially you know the 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 election gets called on April 11th. Political staff are not allowed to be working at the legislature. It would be inappropriate to have political staff there. So uh, I, I knew this was coming. I knew that we wouldn't be working there. And all the political staff, they they tend to go and find campaigns to work on. I've known Barb, who's been the, the mayor of Esquimalt for three uh, three terms. That's about eight years at this point. I've known, I've known her for years. And she was thinking about running. And uh, we, we'd spoken about it the previous year. And then we spoke about it again. And, and I said, well... I, I would love to come and run your campaign. I'm going to, I'm going to have the time, uh, <laughs> not doing anything else after April 11th. Yeah. So, uh, I, I'd love to come on board and, and Barb and, and the party wanted me to, and Barb, it was one of those great marriages where I, I had the support of the party and I also had the support of this candidate and, and that kind of yeah. came together and said, well, all right, you're let, let's, let's get going. Let's, let's run no. this. Well, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. A lot. I can't imagine being just thrown into a, 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 managing a campaign that's running to the finish there with, for that federal three, one <laughs> yeah Jeez. three weeks ago and and the previous campaign had already spent most of their money on things oh. for the old candidate so we couldn't use the reuse brochures because they yeah. all had her name on them they spent a bunch of money on a billboard on the highway that had her name on it it was all branded stuff with the previous candidate so there wasn't a lot of stuff that we could just turn around and reuse so it was perfect because you were <laughs> good at doing that on a low budget I, yeah well with my nine thousand dollars for municipal uh, yeah. election i i'm familiar with working on a tight budget yeah yeah for sure <laughs> So, um, just to jump back for one clarification, um, at the, the whip office thing, Yes. just don't go into it too deep, but just what is that? I'd like to talk to you about it another time, but. Okay. Uh, basically it's the job of the, this was the government caucus whip. The opposition also has a whip, but, uh, the liberals are in government. Government so, caucus means. Uh, government that, caucus is all of the, all of the MLAs for the, the party that is government in this case, the okay. liberals. So. Uh, the whip, his, his name is Eric Foster. He's an MLA from Vernon and uh, he gets, he's assigned the job to make sure that uh, all the MLAs show up to vote 
that we don't lose any votes because there aren't enough uh, people in the chamber and that they vote. Mo- this doesn't happen very often. It it's, happens a lot more uh, with parties that are a little more uh, dis disunited, I guess, a, l- a okay. little more spread out. It, it's, it's famously happened uh, to the federal liberals back in the day with Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin, where where there were two very clear sides of the party that that differ ideologically on certain issues. Oh, okay. And in that case, the whip would say what what the prime minister's demand is uh, on how we're voting on this bill or or on this motion. That's how you're going to vote, even if you disagree with it. And they would they had levels of it. They had the like it was like a three stage whip, and one of them was no matter what your opinion, opinion is on this, you're voting how the prime minister wants you to. The second one was sort of uh, if if you have concerns about it, then then just don't show up, kind of a thing. And then a third one, <laughs> third one was vote your conscience. It's fine. We're, we're this is this is not something that we would crack down on. I I haven't experienced. Uh, that sort of whipping at the legislature because our party is very much united. There's not a lot of, oh, I don't want to vote for that. It's it goes against what I believe in. Right. Uh, because those types of issues don't don't come up very often at at this provincial level. Uh, I know it was a big deal for the conservatives uh, because federal issues, things like abortion, would come up and. You have fiscal conservatives who could care less. There, you know that that's not that's not why they're in the conservative party. They're there because they care about balanced budgets and and economic issues. But the conservatives federally are our coalition, and the social right wing of that party are people that have strong feelings on on abortion and are not necessarily happy with the uh, status quo on on that here in Canada. Right. So that was something that Harper and his whip had to keep in check because if somebody wanted to propose a motion on, say, banning abortion or, or just even re, re-examining the issue in, in a political setting, that's something you don't want to get into, right? That's right. That would be toxic. Majority of Canadians are uh, pro-choice, so it would not be good for uh, any future elections. People would not be happy with that. So... So that that's when that's when whips are are very important when you need party unity on an issue and then say Harper had to say we're not talking about abortion this is not what most Canadians want to be talking about this is not good for our party it is not good for our country so if something like that did come up the whip would be uh, literally whoosh, crack crack the whip and and say no that's right. that's not why a little you're bit voting. of a babysitter uh, yeah kind of and the, the the most important job of the whip is, and and it's a daily thing is making sure. We have the numbers to win any vote or any motion on the floor because oh, okay. a lot of people, they watch question period and they see it's a full chamber and they've got the prime minister or in this case, the premier and the leader of the opposition. And it's full. The the house is full and, and it looks and that's when people tune in because it's interesting and there's yelling and it's conf- confrontational. Yeah. And then question period's over and people tune out. And then they don't see when things like committees or when uh, there's the first or second reading of a bill, most of the MLAs leave. Oh. They, they go back to their offices. And if there's a speaking order to a bill, only a few people are there. Especially it's easy for the opposition because the opposition only needs to be there for however many people are going to speak to this bill. So we're having a bill, one that we just had in this last session. Uh, what's a good one? Uh, one was writing historical wrongs, where our party had gone 
back through old laws that were discriminatory. So okay. say something from 1910 that said uh, Orientals were not able to work uh, in, in grocery stores or something like that. Okay. That's not actually a law anymore that we got rid of that, but it was still on the books. So oh, this okay. was a law that went back to old old pieces of legislation and basically just struck them out of respect, saying that the fact that this isn't it's no longer enforceable, but it's still technically on the government books is offensive. It should it should not exist. So we passed one uh, or introduced a, a bill that would would strike historical wrongs from the record, and the the NDP would decide. Okay, a lot of us want to speak to this. It wasn't. Uh, a bill that people were divided on. Everyone was in favor of this bill. Right. But everyone needs to get up there and, and, and say something about it. So they get up there and they make sure they get their YouTube clip of them coming and saying, well, I support this. And so a lot of MLAs are sort of standing and waiting in the chamber essentially <laughs> their for their YouTube clip <laughs> for, for them, for them to get their, their uh, statement in right. on this bill. And and so that takes a long time on, on the government side though. We can't have less than a majority in the chamber at any time, because if we don't have that, then if the NDP were to, say, call a vote out of nowhere, then they could win it. And, and when you're a majority government, you can you can get taken down by by, say, a, a vote of non-confidence. Right. Yeah, I heard um, about that. That, that. That's that's happened in in the past. It happened uh I believe to a labor government in the UK, which is how uh, Margaret Thatcher ended up becoming prime minister was they, they kind of sneakily one night at a, at a late night vote, the government thought that they had a majority and then suddenly they didn't have a majority. And they, one, one of the labor MPs or one of the conservative MPs was in the hospital and no one thought he was a factor. And then they literally brought his ambulance to the house of commons and he cast a vote uh, that allowed them to reach over this threshold because no one was expecting him and some other people to not be in the chamber. And then he was in the chamber. And so if you're not keeping track of those numbers, you can lose government like that. It's not an election. It's the majority of the House saying we don't we don't have confidence in the leader of the government. Uh, we're, we're calling for the a dissolution of, of wow. Parliament. Wow. Okay. So, we'll, so numbers we'll, are very important. Yeah. <clears throat> we'll talk about, about what goes on in there um, sometime. Wow, that's it's like a hostile takeover, but but maybe a good one if the <laughs> depends on what party you're for, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose, right? Yeah. So so let's get back to the campaign managing. So now you're doing this, uh, and it's how six weeks? How long's the uh, an, an election? the The writ period is twenty eight days. Twenty days. So, okay. So four weeks. Four weeks. But the elections technically. It's, it's four weeks, but it really started a long time ago. Candidates have been, some candidates at least, have been nominated for months and months and months. They've been out there knocking on doors and campaigning since since the end of 2016. Right. I know uh, Stephen Roberts, who's the BC Liberal candidate up in Sandwich North in the islands, uh, top of the peninsula there, he has he was nominated quite a long time ago and has spent, I'd, I'd say, over, over half of a year knocking on doors and being wow. present in his community and some people don't like that elections tend to go that long. But then I know a lot of people that really appreciate the fact that someone cares that much about their community. that They've been out there for six months and they've well, been talking to people, showing time. up to community events. Exactly. Yeah, because like trying to just catch up and, you know, we've all got lives. We're busy and weeks mm-hmm. a week goes by really fast. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so what's it like? Like, I, I guess you enjoy it. 
obviously. Uh, yeah, no, ma- managing campaigns is like campaigns in general are a lot of fun. It's what what partisan political folks like me we live for. Uh, it's 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 a ton of fun to just be out there talking with voters. It's it's also a reality check because when you're in that bubble at the legislature, right. only talking to coworkers and people that are very much into politics, you can end up being a little removed from. Like I said earlier, you're once you're in that bubble, you can be a little removed from reality. Right. And when you spend weeks talking to people on the doorsteps, people that aren't in that bubble, it's a real, it's it's a breath of fresh air. And you get to really find out what is on people's minds. So in our writing of Esquire on the Chosen, there are some fairly obvious issues that doesn't matter if you're in the bubble. You can you can know that transportation is a huge issue here in the South Island because yeah. you've got the Callwood Crawl and all the issues with uh, how to get in and out from the West Shore. There's a lot of issues with that. You don't need to be on the doorsteps to to know that. That that one's fairly obvious. Right. But when you're out on the doorsteps finding out that uh, there's a lot of people that don't have access to they, they don't have a family doctor. Yeah, and I don't. that's and that's a that's <laughs> a very common thing coming up there that you might not necessarily see that in the numbers overall say province wide how many people have have their own GP that might not reflect what the situation here is in our community and you need that reality check to see people who, who need that improvement. So uh, Barb, who's running, has, uh, she's been the mayor of Esquimalt, but this riding isn't just Esquimalt. It, it covers uh, View Royal, Callwood, and Machosan. Mm-hmm. So that's three other communities that you need to spend a lot of time getting acquainted with. And yes, she, she'd been C, uh, chair of the CRD as well, so she does have a lot of experience with those communities. But being out there talking to voters on the door uh, that's not something that she's done at Callwood before, right? Which she hasn't run an election there. So spending time and listening to the to the concerns of these local uh, communities is very important. And that's the nice thing about campaigning. Right. Well, and I imagine it gives you a little, uh, it confirms why you're doing it. Yeah. You know, like uh, other than being in the bubble, like the fun part of that, mm-hmm. but it, it brings it to a reality of like, yes, this is about people yeah never forget that yeah. politics is about people right it's, it's not about scoring cheap points against your opponent or anything like that it's about how best and and i and as i said earlier i believe almost everyone that gets involved in politics really is doing it for the right reasons it is about helping people what what people don't like about politics but is the necessity of politics is that people disagree on how it's best to help people and right. and that is where all of the issues come from. It's not from one party saying we're evil and we're going to do this and you're and you're going to hate it uh, and it, it's not helping people. It's them having a different philosophy on how best to help people and people will always disagree on that. I I'm not. There's not some utopian world where that type of politics doesn't exist because you will never get everybody on the same page. Yeah. You can get some things that are overwhelmingly popular um, and you can, you can focus on those things, but sometimes you have to have other people in the room going, well, wait, that's, that's a really great thing. But what are the other, what are the repercussions of that? Mm -hmm. What are the, sometimes it's just, it it often comes down to a matter of money. It's how are we going to pay for that? Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. How How are we going to pay for that? How are we going to afford that? Or other things where, what are the unforeseen consequences of implementing something like that? Well, and that's one thing that's really interesting because it seems like whoever I talk to, it's like stuff they say is like, oh, that makes sense. 
And then later I'll talk to somebody about it and they'll be like, well, yeah, but what about this? I'll be like, oh, I didn't think of that. So then it puts a new perspective on it all, which is actually something I'd like to go into now with um, the liberals. Because I just had uh, Green Candidate uh, Dr. Chris Maxwell on and he mentioned some things and some views. Um, One thing I asked him was just a brief kind of overview of how he saw the differences in the parties Okay. So maybe you could do that as well. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> Is that <laughs> how, how neutral am I supposed to be on this? Um, well, no, no, we, we can go, we can go into your liberal hat if you want. Okay. Um, oh, we'll, we'll start with the liberals then. Uh, the liberals are a, they're a coalition party. Of, Which means? Uh, they essentially, the membership and MLAs and members and whatnot consist of, federal liberals and federal conservatives. So for instance, on our campaign, I, I'm a federal liberal. I voted for Justin Trudeau. I, I have campaigned and worked hard for the federal liberals, which are this country's centrist party. Okay. Here in British Columbia, we don't have a mainstream centrist party. We have the NDP, which are a left-wing party, and then the BC liberals, which are a center-right party. So okay. there's one foot in the center and one foot towards the right. Uh, and that's because it's a coalition party that has uh, people like me and then uh, people that are federal conservatives. So our, our volunteer coordinator on our campaign, she, uh, when it comes to a federal election, she and I will be working against each other in the next federal election. She will support the conservative candidate. I will support the liberal candidate. However, there is no, there's not really a BC conservative party. So that's why she's a BC liberal, because we oh. are a free enterprise and we talk about a lot of the issues that conservatives identify, like uh, fiscal conservatism, being smart and balancing the books and, and, and that, that is something that's important to her. So where you have two of us that will work very hard against each other in the next federal election, we're working very closely together for this provincial election. Okay, we're going to have to talk about all that <laughs> one time, because I, I didn't know the differences between... So, yeah, because the BC Green Party, there's only the, the BC, BC, yeah. Right? Well, there's a federal Green Party. Oh, there is. Okay. And and the interesting thing is right. those yeah. those parties are very are very different. We'll get into that in a second. Because here in BC, you've got yeah, you've got your BC NDP on the left, you've got your BC Liberals center right. The Greens historically uh, have been on on the left side of the spectrum. The federal the federal Greens with Elizabeth May certainly are. The provincial Greens under Andrew Weaver, there's there's not the party, just like how federal liberals and provincial liberals, there's not actually a linkage between them. See, I thought uh, they'd be the same thing. No, the, na- the names throw people well, off, right? Yeah, because I, I remembered Elizabeth May, and then mm-hmm. I was like, well, Andrew Weaver, is she gone now? Yeah. And- so, yeah. So, okay. Weaver, uh, when he became leader, it was, it, it was very much before in, in line with the Elizabeth May federal Green Party when Jane Sterk was leader of the BC Greens. When Andrew Weaver came in, he's he's a very practical. Uh, he's a scientist. He has a he's a Nobel Prize right. for his work in climate change. Oh, really? uh, very smart guy, and and so he he took it to more of an evidence an evidence based policy side of things. Something that a lot of federal liberals often champion evidence based policy. Uh, so he was there and changed changed the way the direction of the party and very much brought it towards the center. So. When I say that there's not a mainstream centrist party, that's because we're not talking about the Greens because they're not quite mainstream yet. Okay. They are not an official party because they only have one seat. 
if they gain a few seats in this election, which looking at the polls, yeah, they probably will. If you ask me, if I put on my pundit hat, I think the Greens mm-hmm. will pick up a couple more seats. Yeah. They're not mainstream yet because they don't have a chance of forming government. There's 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 no way they're going to get 43 or 44 seats. So, but they're, but Weaver's very much kind of trying to take them up on the center and and that was very helpful in building his political capacity. He on the center in, in the center of the political spectrum, so oh. not left right, but like right in the middle. Okay, um, which was which was very important to building up his party's uh, capacity with a lot of a lot of volunteers and a lot of people that had experience in winning campaigns. Uh, he did take a lot of because be, being in the center, there are there are federal liberals that don't vote BC Liberal because they're more on the left. They're more the center left on that federal side of things. And a lot of them Hmm. vote BC NDP, but some of them from the federal side, they go, well, I couldn't ever vote for the B for the NDP because of the way the NDP treat liberals federally. And, and just the way that the NDP does politics is something that turns off a lot of center left liberals. So we're seeing in BC, a lot of them turn towards the green party, which is why they've seen some growth uh, in the past, say two to three years. Right. Wow, I didn't know it. It's so separate. <laughs> I thought I was understanding how how the voting thing was going, but now knowing that the federal and like I thought it was like those that's the party, you know, and whether you're voting federally or provincially, it's the same thing. But it, it sounds like it's not. Yeah, at all. So uh, when when I was president of the federal liberals here in Victoria, the centr- a centrist party, I had people on my board of directors. Some would vote BC NDP, some would vote BC Liberal, and some would vote BC Green. And because hmm. we're a centrist party, you can go that way. There's there's three ways to kind of branch out essentially. Right. Uh, for the for the BC NDP, uh, it's not quite the same. There is actually a linkage between the BC NDP and the federal NDP. Okay. Unlike the other parties that we're talking about here, uh, and you actually can't be a member of one without being a member of the other. Is that which, just something they put in place? It is something that they it's in their party's constitution, which actually I, I, I think is a terrible idea because you get people that I know that are federal liberals that would essentially vote BCNDP, but they don't take out a membership of the BCNDP because then that means they can't be a member of the federal liberals because the NDP self-imposes this weird discipline within their party that you have to be both. You have to be true orange and they, they're they're turning they're literally turning people away that want mm. to be members of the BC NDP if they're not willing to commit to be members of the federal NDP. They want them all in or not. Yeah, which whereas... is a bad election strategy because like I said there's a lot of there are federal liberals that are center left that do that that are not able to vote for the BC Liberals and they and they choose some choose to go to the the NDP and the fact that the NDP won't let them pay their membership dues and and whatnot is 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 bad politics if you ask me. Okay. <laughs> So, so when people are talking about, um, I know we're kind of running out of time here, but it's okay, we can go a little later. <laughs> okay. Um, so the liber- Christy Clark liberal, yeah. correct. Right. So I hear a lot of stuff or people saying, we've got to get this, her out. We've got to get changes. Someone else. What's, what are they upset about with like, why uh, we spent a lot of time talking <laughs> about bubbles and <laughs> and and I think we we're going to have to talk about another bubble okay. and that, and this bubble is is just the south south Vancouver Island bubble 
Okay. It, we have, and I'm, I'm born and raised in Victoria. I know this very well, that our culture and the way we are here in, in South Vancouver Island is very different compared to the rest of the province. Okay. Um, the way that we vote is very different. If you look at the last federal election when the liberals, like I said, they, they were decimated to about 34, 35 seats, and then they came back in 2015 to form a majority government. They picked up seats all across the country, and what didn't, where was not a single liberal seat won? Vancouver Island. It stayed, it stayed pure orange and then one little splotch of green uh, where Elizabeth May is elected. It's a, diff- it's a very different culture here. Okay. And and there's often not an argument like um, my my family, uh, my mom's side of the family, they're they're Jews in Toronto. And when when I'm there in Ontario, you often have people making the argument of who 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 they're supporting. Once again, because they're not partisan, it's not about brand loyalty. It's well, who's who's going to be best for our community? Because who's going to be in government? Voting for someone who you who you think their party is going to form government is is the right choice a lot of a lot of that's a that's thinking of a lot of people in places outside of here on vancouver island okay on vancouver island having spent my entire life here i have never heard a single person make that argument for voting it it's very much a a values and a principles driven place where you you vote for your candidate uh, no matter what their chance of of government that's why that's why the greens have begun their political movement here you have the only green MP and the only green MLA were elected here on the South on the South Vancouver Island because mm-hmm. people tend to vote. Well, yeah, obviously the Greens are not going to form government, but people here that's not a priority to them. It's it's more about oh well, I, I agree with the Greens and I agree with their principles and I'm going to support them. And it would be nice if they got an MLA in the legislature. That argument uh, is not as common when you go to other places where where it's like okay. Well, I've been waiting for this new uh, upgrade to the this highway here in here in Toronto, and and our opposition and MP hasn't done anything about that. But it looks like the Liberals are going to get in this time, so I'm going to vote for a Liberal, and then hopefully the Liberals will then put some highway funding into my riding. Now, and that's not saying that that's the only way you get funding and whatnot, but there is a belief, and I'm sure there are stats to back up back this up, that MPs from the government party get more tend to get more funding for their region because they have a voice at the table when they're okay. talking about where, where, where should we be improving highways? Well, if you're at the cabinet table or you're, you, you are friends with the premier or the prime minister, that's easier to make that argument than if you're on the other party and you don't spend a lot of time making those friendships across the aisle. Okay. So, so basically what you're saying is that what I'm hearing about why we need to change in BC. Oh yeah. Is so let me, I didn't even get to answering that question because yet. we're in this 10% bubble. It, it's, it's, it's not. Yeah. So we hear this a lot here in, uh, in, in this area that the premier is not very popular in this area. The BC right. liberals are not very popular in this area. That is not true outside of where we live. Oh, if you go to the Okanagan, if you go to the North of the province, the BC Liberals and Christy Clark are very, very popular. People like that she, uh, you know, has a focus on bringing jobs and that uh, they they spend a lot of outreach to those communities. In fact, you can look right now. Uh, someone put up a map on the Internet that has uh, it's been the beginning of the campaign. How many days has it been? Say tw- 12 or 13 days, maybe someone mapped out exactly where the leaders of the two main parties, the Liberals and the NDP, have, have campaigned. 
And John Horgan, the leader of the BCNDP, has not spent a single day campaigning below uh, the 50th parallel. So that's all that he spent time in the on the island and in Vancouver and some in the Okanagan a little bit. But he's he's never gone north of that line. And then you see the premier who spent time. He goes up to Prince George and and places uh, in the north that appreciate being recognized. And, and oh, yeah. they are traditional B.C. liberal strongholds. And, okay. and it will be difficult for the NDP to win them. And it's certainly not helping the matter that John Horgan has spent two weeks of the campaign, hasn't hasn't visited a single one. So, okay, let's go back to some of the like the issues of what I hear about, right? It's all, it seems to always be about like nature. Okay. And, <laughs> and if like I heard something about like the forestry or like the logs going to China or something, or the dam that's going to be put in or something like that. <clears throat> Site, Site C is, is the, is the dam that okay. you're talking about there. And it's a very controversial issue, especially here. I've seen people wearing, you know, no Site C pins on them. And uh, we just had a debate at Esquimalt High School hosted by the BC Sustainable Energy Association. And that was one of the most uh, common, commonly brought up topics in that debate was about Site C. And it's something that the Greens were originally in favor of it. And then they changed being against it. The NDP has also flip-flopped on it because the NDP, their, their sort of voting coalition is uh, kind of left-wing urban activist types and... Uh, union guys like i've been working in the union right. kind of blue collar union guys and those those two don't agree on that issue because the ndp union guys want site c because mm. it's union jobs it's construction and then maintaining it and all of that that'll be union guys doing the work right right uh whereas the activist side see it as as a, as a negative on the environment but that's right. something that i i, I disagree with uh, I, I like to consider myself, you know, I, I born and raised in Victoria. It's hard not to have that kind of green streak in you when you grow right. up in, in this kind of community. Uh, and, and I think that I, that I am, I do. And I, I do identify as someone that cares deeply about the environment. But when you look at sightseeing the arguments, I sp I found myself listening to people at this debate, uh, otherwise fairly sane environmentalists arguing against hydroelectric power, saying it's not clean. Well, you're, they're also they also spent time in that debate complaining about how uh, a, a portion of BC's uh, energy is met is, is is fossil fuels right and that's something we all agree we need to transition away from fossil fuels are are contributing to global warming they're bad we can't just stop it all today but we have to begin the transition away from fossil fuels. Right. That's why it's important to get things like electric cars on the road uh, and switching to alternative forms of energy. Hydroelectric is fantastic. It's it's water through a dam that that moves turbines and it creates electricity. Right. And that's re that's a renewable resource and it's clean. There's this argument that's being there's a few arguments being made on this. One is that uh, in order to create this dam, there's uh, they're flooding they're flooding land in this valley, and a lot I of people. That's what I heard. A lot so. of people say that it's very valuable farmland. That's not true. If it was valuable farmland, people would be farming on it right now. There's one guy that grows corn, I believe, in the area, and then and then that's it. It's it's not this amazing utopia that people 
that don't live that first of all, these are people that live in Victoria and Vancouver talking about a dam all the way out there that they think that right. they know the situation. I was speaking to a, a gentleman the other day, actually on this issue and he lived there and he was the one that told me that there's one guy that's growing corn there and that up on top, like on the upper elevation that is not being flooded is where there's all these incredible farms and it's really arable land. That's not being flooded. What's being flooded to make this dam is not this pristine, beautiful uh, nature sanctuary. It's land that's not really being used and it's not all that uh, profitable or important because there's, there's not farms there on at the moment. Okay. So there's that, there's that argument. There's another argument that says, uh, well, we, we don't need to, to build this, you know, billions of dollars on a dam because uh, we're already kind of meeting our electrical needs right now. And I think that's, that's a really backwards kind of argument because we are, we need to look towards the future and the population of British Columbia in the next 20 years is expected to grow by a a million people. And they say, well, our, our electricity needs haven't really gone up that much recently. There's, there's no way that we're going to need this much power and we're going to be selling it cheap off to the Americans. Well, what's actually going to happen is the the forecast for energy usage and this is this is what BC Hydro uh puts out they don't take into consideration an increase of people going electric so if you like me think most people are going to be driving electric cars in 2025 years which i think is is fairly reasonable mm-hmm. and we'll get a lot of self-driving google cars and whatnot as well mm-hmm. that that's what most people are forecasting that that's going to be happening where we are already on our way to transitioning to that well, BC Hydro doesn't take that into their expectations when they're saying how much energy use is going to increase over the next 20 years. And no point is they're saying, well, all these electric cars are going to come on. Well, how are we going to power them? Right now, you, BC Hydro doesn't need to care because those cars are being fueled by gas pumps. That's right. not their area. And that they have failed to forecast that transition. And that's just cars that no, hmm. we're not even talking about other things that are going to switch to being electric there is going to be an increased demand for electricity. And we are looking at putting uh, a renewable, clean source of hydroelectric power that is going to contribute to that and the population growth. And P- and I and I find it very strange when people argue against it uh, because I wonder what their vision of the future is. If they think that there's not going to be any any new people moving into British Columbia, well, it is. Like, BC is number one in job growth in Canada. Well, we are been number one of... in economic development. We are we are number one. It's just we are the best place to live in the country right now. Yeah, and people are moving here. And and when the tough times hit Alberta, because they don't have a diversified uh, resource and economic situation like we do here in British Columbia, well, a lot of them came here yeah. to work here. Like we had, I think, two hundred twenty six thousand jobs were created last year. Wow, that's okay. more than any province in the country. Holy cow. it's it's so it's so oh it's so interesting to to hear different views um yeah without people yelling at each other so you actually hear them you know (laughs) well i had to give i had to present the the arguments against it in order to counter them because there's not there's nobody to debate against uh but i think for for fairness i I wanted to mention why people were against it and then respond to that okay so i'm going to jump to a different thing quick so um i'd heard of like the trickle down thing, like the, a big difference <laughs> trickle in, down economics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a big difference in the parties was kind of like um, that, like the liberals. It's like make the rich. No, okay, no. <laughs> you know what I'm talking yeah. about, eh? Well, okay. it's 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 a toxic so, point that comes up, and it's it's very interesting that Canada is very much a a place that is influenced by the United States. 
when we turn on the TV, we watch American TV. Right. We're, we're, we are inundated with the American media market, and that includes American news. So when you get parties like the NDP and, and occasionally the Greens on, on the left side of the spectrum arguing against the party that's center-right, to them, when they turn on the TV, they see Democrats versus Republicans. So they view themselves as Democrats, and they assume anybody to the right of them is a Republican. And that is incredibly so they would, they bad. they think liberals are Republican. Uh, yeah. Okay. BC, they would think BC, they present them and they talk to So they often parrot these things, which are, are not even true reflections of, of the BC liberals. And even the conservatives, like when people would go after Harper, they would say things about the Republicans like, oh, he, you know, his position on abortion or something like that. Well, as we talked about earlier, he made damn sure that they never talked about abortion. If he were a Republican in the States, they'd be definitely talking about that's one of the things Republicans bring up all the damn time. Right. Right. But it's easier to be lazy and just say, well, how are we attacking the Republicans? We will throw that same stuff at at the conservatives or in this case, uh, B.C. liberals because they are right of the left wing parties. So when they say trickle-down economics, that was Ronald Reagan's policy. Reaganomics okay. in, in the 1980s, that was all about trickle-down. Whereas if, if, you, if you give businesses and, and the rich more money, eventually it gets down and it's paid to their employees and whatnot. Right. It time after time has been proven not to work. Right, and it that's hurt what, the that's U.S. What economy, and 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 it's very easy for for them to say, well, well, the B.C. liberals <laughs> trickle down it, because it's just it's the talking point that you hear a lot. Whereas Democrats, because Republicans still get hung up on uh, trickle down economics, because it's still, I think, probably about half of them very much still push that they still believe in it, despite the fact that the facts say no, it doesn't right. work. It does not stimulate the economy. So for the record, liberals don't. No, it's not. That. So okay. they, so you get people <laughs> saying, well, the liberals, you, uh, you're, you're all about, uh, corporate, you're all about tax cuts to, to the 1% or whatever, which is yeah. a thing that is true of the Republican party in the United States. That is not true of the BC liberal party. The, in fact, the BC liberals, uh, gave the biggest cat tax cut to the middle class in the country. Uh, if you're making, Less if you're a middle class family, you're making less than a hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year. So every everybody making less than that in British Columbia pays lower taxes than if you're making that in any other province in this country. So that the middle class families are getting the tax cut. This is not a tax cut for rich fat cats right. in, in their, you know, monopoly man monocles and whatnot that it's very easy to to vilify and say all oh, those that's terrible. Why are we giving tax cuts to the rich? Well, I, I don't know. I, I know a lot of people that that are in that tax bracket. I wouldn't call them rich. If you make a hundred, if you're, you know, you you have two kids and a wife, and you're making one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year, I don't think you feel you're really rolling in cash at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got you got to pay for school. You got to pay for for dinner for four people. You got to have two cars. If your wife's off to work, it's it's not. That those are not fat cats or or the type of people driving you know Mercedes and and. <laughs> it's a caricature right it's yeah. it's very easy to vilify that and and that's that's not that's not the case here it's it, we've given a tax cut to the middle class okay uh and and i think that's that's very important for for stimulating the economy so that way these people compared to every other province in the country have more money to to spend uh, on what on what they choose to spend and that's another thing where the BC liberals are are working towards getting rid of MSP premiums, which we're the only, it's it's regressive because we're the only province I think in Canada that still has MSP premiums, and we're working on removing them and getting and 
getting rid of them. The NDP is talking about getting rid of them as well, as are the Greens. Right. However, the NDP can't get their messaging straight on this one because Carol James, who's the MLA here in uh, Victoria Beacon Hill, uh, held a press conference the other day and said that they're getting rid of MSP by rolling it into your income tax. So you're still going to pay it. You just won't get your your monthly bill for MSP. It'll just right. be added on. Uh, but then John Horgan, the leader in the NDP, says, no, Carol James and six or seven other MLAs that agreed with Carol James, they're all wrong and kind of threw them under the bus on that one. Uh, so what the liberals hmm. are saying, well, we're going to get rid of it. It needs to be phased out over time. But we've already cut it in half. Our, your, your next this year of MSP is going to be 50 percent of what you were paying for it this year. And then they're working towards phasing it out. Well, it seems, yeah, you can't just, like, drop it right away because, I mean, you still you have to figure out ways to – well, that's – Well, that's what you think, and yet there are people that want to drop it right away and, and then reap, reap the financial consequences of suddenly right. having that, that, lack of, that lack of a revenue stream without, once again, the unforeseen consequences. It's easy to say it would be, it would be very popular. No one likes paying MSP. I hated paying MSP. Yeah. <laughs> it's not – no one, no one is a big fan of it. But just getting rid of it is not uh, like that is not really going to solve your problems. You have to phase it out. You have to do it in a smart way. You have to make up that revenue from from other sources and look and look into that. It's it's all about smart financial problem, uh, smart financial planning, rather than just taking an issue and and what's the most popular like that that's populism. That was how Donald Trump got elected by saying things that a lot of people wanted to hear, despite. The reality of it, like building a right. wall is an idiot. Well, it's an idiotic policy anyways, <laughs> but the, the amount of the billions of dollars that are going to be put onto a wall on, on the Mexican border where there has almost been net zero immigration. Like that is an alternative fact. It's we're, we need to stop something that isn't even happening. There are more Mexicans leaving the United States to go back to Mexico because the economy is doing better in a lot of places in Mexico than it is in the States. They're not flooding over this border, but it was a populist thing because right. people went, well, yeah, I agree with that. And that'd be great. So they're going to waste all this money on that to do it or say it. Yeah. And and so you get you get po populism is very dangerous because hmm. what's often sounds good isn't good in reality. I mean, the wall doesn't sound good, but to some people it <laughs> did. Right. To some people, it really did. And you have this situation here. Uh, like right now, the NDP is running on ten dollar a day daycare. That is something that sounds really good because, you know, we, we've been knocking on doors. We've heard a lot of people say take care is really expensive. It's it's yeah, it's, it's hard care. to get it's hard to get uh, a kid in to find to find a space and and whatnot. So what the NDP are doing, they want to take a model that I think it was $15 a day daycare in Quebec. They want to take that, make it a little cheaper and put that into place. Well, in Quebec. Um, there are a few problems with it, and and it's, it would be the same problems here. One, it's going to apply universally. So if you're making two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, you can also put your kid in ten dollar day daycare. And now you're competing for limited childcare spaces mm. with buddy who works at the plant, and his wife passed away, and he, he's making one income, and he's trying to get his kid. And it's in tough financial times, he's got to compete for a childcare space with the CEO of the company that owns the plant that he works with because they both qualify for $10 day daycare. Right. And then, and then we find out that this plan that they want to put in aside from that inequity issue where I, I really don't think if you're making $250,000 a year, you need $10 day daycare. Uh, right. <laughs> but yeah. aside from that, we find out that his plan is, is going to cost more than they thought it was going to cost. And it's not going to be implemented. It's going to be slowly implemented over the next 10 years. 
So people right now that are saying, well, I'm going to vote for the NDP because they're talking about $10 a day daycare, a very populist policy. Well, they're going to be in a, for a very rude awakening when it turns out their child right now that needs child care won't, won't be able to, it won't be in full effect until their child's in high school. So really, well, thanks. It, we don't need it then. Like the yeah. people that are going to vote emotionally <laughs> on that issue because it's very important to them. It's not going to affect them unless they unless they have another kid in eight years or something by the time that the mm. policy is in full effect. You have things like that where it sounds good because it's a very populist promise and, wow, that sounds really good and it's resonating with people. And then you really look into it and it's, why are we building a wall? Uh, <laughs> why are we building a wall to keep out Mexicans when, when the reality is Mexicans aren't really coming into the country? Why so, are we going to spend all this money on a $10 a day daycare when rich people are going to take up those spaces too? And the child that I need to get into childcare right now is going to be getting his driver's license by the time that this plan is into effect. Right. So that's another thing, like when you're talking about, about voting and um, <clears throat> going back to when you said, see who your MLA is now. Hmm. Like one other thing to be is like, if there's a populist thing that you like, look into it, look into really it, really look into the facts. Yeah. And that's right. true. That's true of all parties. Right. Sometimes party messaging and all parties are guilty of this. Simplify things because policy, policy is tough, right? <laughs> you can't, I mean, bills and legislation is often you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages when you want to, when you want to implement something new. Right. Yeah. And that's very difficult to sum up in a sound bite that's going to get played on the media. So and and sometimes it's used for nefarious purposes where you go out and say $10 day daycare and that is disingenuous. But other times it's just really, really damn hard to explain something right. in, in a 30 second soundbite that's, you know, what's going to be the headline in the paper or what's going to be, you know, on the six o'clock news tonight. Well, you can't talk about 200 pages of legislation in 30 seconds for well, a news and, bite. And the other thing is, though, when you have those titles, right? Like, if, if someone doesn't get to researching it or they don't get to looking into the other parties and they just remember come election day that someone said something, NDP said something about $10 a day daycare. Well, that's the best thing I've heard so far. Exactly, so right? If I'll you don't look that. into it, things that sound good end up can, can often hurt you. Right. Because then... You you had to spend the amount of money that it takes to to put a child through childcare, and then your child no longer needs it. And now the policy's implemented, and now you're paying for everybody else that just had a kid. Now you're paying for their childcare, right? And not everyone would be thrilled about that. Hmm. Well, I'd love to hear the other versions of that or anything. But, oh, sure. Um. <laughs> and 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 feel free to go go look it up, and but make sure you read the numbers and and make sure uh, statistics aren't misleading. Right. Well, to kind of wrap up here, I don't know if I, you can wrap these up quickly or not. <laughs> We've been all over the place today. This is, it's oh been my fun. gosh, I, I feel like I want to talk for another three hours. Um, but after and, the election, and, I'll come back. Okay, okay I'm yeah, busy yeah. for the next sixteen <laughs> yeah. days, but uh, I can I can squeeze you in after for, that for sure. Excellent. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if if you can touch on the donations thing at all. Okay, the, yeah, political donations, that, and then after that, just to like a just a quick rundown of the liberal platform right what was said on the I, if you're it. referring to something that was said so, from well the i just Greens always always hear this thing of like people saying oh the liberals take donations and right for the party and then they're the favor thing right that makes sense yeah, yeah enough I, or, yeah so you're talking about the fact that the uh bc liberals uh and the bc ndp both accept corporate and union donations to their campaigns yes 
this has been an issue for a long time and BC gets a bad rap for, for the fact that our fundraising rules are, are fairly open. Uh, the greens have taken a principled stance and said that they're, they, they won't right now. If you give, if you're a corporation, they'll turn down your check. They won't, they won't do it. The NDP say they want to get rid of corporate and union donations uh, while simultaneously taking the largest political donation in the history of British Columbia. They received $647,000 last year from a union. Uh, that's larger than any corporate donation or anything that the BC Liberals have ever gotten. But the NDP are the ones leading this charge on this, and they're saying, well, no, it doesn't matter what money we're taking. We're, we'll change it once we're in. Right. And sure, there, there's an argument that they get, you got to play the game, whatever. Right. Uh the problem is that the the liberals and I and I was there and I watched this happen. We introduced uh, legislation in the in this past session that would say we're we're looking at uh, creating an ex, an independent panel and a committee of the legislature to look into uh, how how to reform our campaign finance laws. We're not just going to do a knee jerk reaction because the NDP are are nagging at us. We want we want to do this properly and we want to have experts and we want to hear testimony from. People that have that have implemented this in other jurisdictions, like Ontario, has changed their campaign finance laws. We want to listen from experts. We're not just going to write up legislation because the NDP say we need to. Okay, let's do this together, and this needs to be a multi-partisan effort. We need we need you guys to come in and help us with this because it, it you don't want just our interests. You want you need the NDPs and you need the Greens as well. We're inviting everyone to be on this committee. We introduced that as a bill, and uh, neither party would support it. Because that would take it off as an election issue. Because right now, now that oh. we're in the election, they can still talk about that because that bill died on the floor. And then they'll say, well, the liberals, you have a majority government. You could have passed it even if you wanted to. That's true. If if we wanted to, we could have absolutely passed that right now. But the point is, it was a multi-partisan panel. So you if we're talking about together. creating a, a committee of members from all parties... And then none none of the other parties support that. We either a have to let it die on the floor and be like we really tried, right. or we can force it down their throats, and then they're going to complain about that as right. well. So it's it's unfortunate that I I watched that bill on uh, die on the floor in the, at the end of the session because we refused to force teamwork upon upon the other two parties on on that file. And hmm. hopefully, if if the liberals are are reelected, we'll we'll try again to to pass that. And oh, and if it's not an election season, I have a feeling the NDP and the Greens would 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 very much like to join us in in that committee. So when was after that? the election? <laughs> yeah. So when was that again? That that was uh, it was that it was this last uh, legislative session, which so, was uh, what was that? February March. Oh. Yeah, like so, very recent, like that right on the threshold of the election, which is why, I, at least my opinion, why the other parties didn't want to touch it, because it would have taken it out. It would have prevented them from talking about this issue. Well, yeah, because they would have already had up. a commitment to changing the system. But it's easier to say the liberals don't want to change the system, how bad they are, than it is to say, well, we actually already decided we we're going to work on it. We can't change it for this election. But as soon as we parliament is, is reconvened, we're going to sit down and work, work on this and, and there'll be changes. Well, that, that's not, that's once again, that's not your nice 30 second soundbite. So even <laughs> if that, if that bill had gone through to say that we're going to work on this, even if the liberals weren't in power after it would still be something that would be yep. working on because yep. it was, it would, it would have been, yeah, it would have been passed. Yeah. I mean, the ND, who, hmm. if the NDP did form government, they could essentially go back and 
uh, revoke it. You can, there's nothing to stop that. But then they would have had to actively do something to prevent it. Right. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. See, because yeah, it always it always sounds like oh, liberals just take a bunch of money and then they give favors to this or that, and <laughs> yeah, well, that's that that's the other argument where yeah, I get why people say how can you how can you be neutral when a company gives you money like, but it's it's is buying influence thing right? Mm-hmm. But then it's hypocritical of the NDP to say that to call us out and say, well, the reason we want to change the system is because the liberals take money from companies and and we believe that that means those companies would get uh more uh um, not fair treatment better better treatment in the eyes of the government while while they're simultaneously taking the largest donation in the history of the province well doesn't that same argument apply to you if that if you truly believe that a company donating money does indeed change the the minds of politicians then are your own minds not being changed right now from that from that donation from from uh, that union? And that union uh, had just made the news the other day. I think it was United Steelworkers. It's it's a uh, it's a multinational, so it's also in the United States. And the the head of that union is is an honorary member of the NDP. John Horgan made him a lifetime member. That guy just stood next to Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> think it was two days ago his name is leo gerard he mm-hmm. stood next to john donald trump while donald trump attacked canada on trade issues softwood which is a very big issue here in british columbia and very important to us uh, as well as dairy farmers because he happened upon an issue that i think it affected cbc did a really interesting story about it the other day it affects a handful of michigan dairy farmers but Donald Trump talked to one of them, and suddenly he thinks it's this whole thing that Canada's screwing over these dairy farmers. So he he went on a rant about Canada, what Canada's doing. Canada's doing a disgrace. It's a disgrace. <laughs> it's a disgrace to the American people and our dairy farmers. And and he, so nice. he went on this. And standing right next to him was Leo Gerard, an honorary member of the NDP. And then Trump signed an executive order, handed Leo Gerard that pen, and he didn't say anything about how this guy just just the president of the United States just called Canada a disgrace for, for our practices. And that's the guy who gave the NDP the largest donation, political donation in huh. our province's history. So are you saying that doesn't buy influence or at least in this case, it prevents him from being criticized by the NDP who maybe should come out and say like John Horgan on the software deal said, good luck with that. We don't with, with the Trump administration. Good luck with that. We're going to lose on that already. Well, we're committed to coming to the table and trying to work out a really good agreement. Yeah, that's it's, our whole it, thing. But if the NDP aren't are, are friends with Leo Gerard, then maybe maybe they're not talking about that issue. Mm. So so if they say it buys influence, it has to go both ways. Okay. And what about the Greens' view on on not taking any donations? What do you? I think it's a principled stance. Yeah. I think uh, Weaver. Cert- I, I let's be fair. The Greens were not getting a ton of those donations in the first place, mm. uh, so it was easier for them to say. That. If you go back through before they had this policy and look at what the what their donations were in the past, you won't see a lot of large donations from unions or corporations. Okay. You'll go back and you'll see a lot of union donations to the NDP. You'll see corporate donations to the liberals. The greens were in a position where it was an easy policy to implement because it looks good. Uh, and they weren't, they're not really giving up a lot of money on that particular thing. Okay. But the, the one thing I would like to add, uh, when we're talking about this money issue, uh, is yeah, we, the, the liberals take a lot of flack for this, and there's a, there seems to be a story every couple of weeks in the paper about how a corporation donated a large amount of money right. to the liberals. Well, do you want to know why that is? Yeah, the reason that there's a story every couple of weeks is that the BC liberals 
commitment to transparency, we post every single political donation we receive on the internet every 10 days. So if you donated any oh. amount of money to the liberals within the last 10 days, it'll be up on the internet. Okay. You cannot do that for the NDP right now. You have no, except for the last fiscal year. So if you donated, and so that $647,000 was last year, we have no idea how much that union donated this year to the NDP. It could be even bigger. There could be other donations out there. And there would be definitely be stories about that in the paper. But there's nothing to talk about. about Exactly. There's nothing to talk about. And so we've been, we tried to, and that was Hmm. the other part of that bill that died on the floor. It would have forced all parties to uh, regularly disclose their financial. So we take a lot of hits in the media because we are being transparent and it allows us to say, well, you know, every single person that's ever donated to us and you will know within just over a week of when someone donates, Hmm. we won't know who donated to the NDP until after the election. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, uh, gee, okay. Oh, man. <laughs> it's very enlightening. It's, very a, it's enlightening. been fun, yeah. Yeah. So do you want to just throw out a, a, a liberal platform quick thing and then we'll wrap her up? <laughs> Is that possible? Um, <laughs> a quick thing. Once again, I, I don't want to go down to your 30-second sound bites. Uh, oh, no. I, I just I just don't. I, I know we're over time already, so I, yeah. I, you, you can talk for half an hour if you want. <laughs> well, the, the, <laughs> the, the liberal platform is – it's over – it is i don't know how many pages it's it's yeah. a fairly it's a fairly thick uh policy document i would encourage everybody to go in and 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 that's what this whole conversation has really been about since right. the beginning it's about educating yourself and making sure you know the facts right so go go online and actually take the time to read not not highlights and not just like a, a too long didn't read summary actually scroll the, download the pdf and spend an evening reading uh the the platforms go to the bcndp website as well read their platforms the greens haven't released theirs yet uh both the ndp and the liberals released theirs about two weeks ago and and look at what each party is paul uh, is promising and also look at costing that's a that's a very important thing it's it's one thing to say you're going to do something it's another thing to talk about how you're going to pay for it and how it's going to be implemented so I can tell you right now, the NDP platform has about it has fifty four promises in it. Okay, only fourteen of them have costing, and oh. that and that of those fourteen, it'll be an additional six point four billion of spending, I think. Uh, but then there, that means there's forty promises in that platform that no one's talking about how to pay for, and you don't even know how much they're going to be. Okay, uh, so. Make sure you do, and when you go through the liberal platform, be be put the same, you know, put us under the same scrutiny. Yeah. Look at what we're doing and how we're going to pay for it. Because uh, I can I can tell you that our platform is fully costed. The NDP only fourteen of their forty pro, or fourteen have been costed. Forty have not. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. And I'd love to comment on the Greens, but uh, and and Andrew Weaver is a friend. He and I get yeah. along very well. And I expect him to release a, a very thorough platform uh, probably by the 26th. So in three or four days, you'll probably see the green platform. But I can't comment it on right now because it doesn't exist. Maybe I should just, like, read those. Yeah, print, <laughs> so print them off. They'll can be listen. PDFs. No, but, like, like, record it and then oh. people can just listen to it instead of reading it. Yeah. 
you could you could you could have a, a nice ebook or audiobook uh, <laughs> industry right here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that'll put people to sleep. It's good bedtime reading. Yeah, monotonous well, no, policy. Well, no, I, I, I well, like I'll, I'll cover just go through it. I guess do my sound bites of it or whatever. Right. But just so because people might not sit down to do it, but they might be able to listen to it when they go for a walk or something. Yeah. I don't know. An idea. Maybe I'll do that. Well, wow. Okay, that was that was awesome. I really appreciate it. I thank you for staying over. Time That's okay. There. I have to deal with the call with Carl back to the campaign office now. Oh, but man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate it again, and I wish you guys good luck with this. And uh, yeah, let's definitely get together after the election. And I got so many more things we're gonna. I want to talk to you. As well. I look forward to it. Thank you very Great. much for having me. Wow! Right. That was a bit of a whirlwind of a chat. I am excited to dig into this stuff further with him on future episodes. So I thank you for listening to this episode with Andrew Reeve, and I hope you enjoyed it and learned something new and useful once again. I want to point out again that all of the thoughts and opinions that Andrew gives here are his alone, and he is not speaking on behalf of any party or any candidate. The show notes for this chat will take a few minutes, so bear with me and I'll get them to you eventually. Um, I'm going to love going through it again, though, I'll tell you that. The things that stuck out for me um, for this coming election, and well, any election, I guess, are one, that we need to look at our current MLAs and the past four years and see who and what um, was done and what we want changed and look at the new candidates and see who fits into those that framework um, to change the things that we desire in our communities. And two, not to rely on the media or each party's sound bites and ads or how they're bashing other opponents, um, but instead to get online and check out each party's full platform to see what the real stories are in relation to what they're saying or what others are saying about them. We need to get in there and really scrutinize their plan. These people will be working for us. So let's vet them. They're, they're going to be our employees, basically. So let's vet our employees. Makes sense to me. Uh, on the next episode, I'm going to be chatting with Jordan Templeman, a political science student who is running right now in this election as an independent candidate for Saanich North and the Islands Riding. I think this will be an interesting chat. Um, it'll be neat to get a different perspective from an independence point of view and why he chose this route. So please stop by the website, www.governthis.ca and Facebook, facebook.com forward slash govern this, and let me know what you think. I also would love to hear some questions and topics that you might like covered in future episodes. See what you guys are wondering about. A donations link is on its way, so please keep an eye out for that. I'm really super enjoying working on this podcast, and I'm learning a boatload of stuff. But it's starting to take quite a bit of my time, not to mention the costs are kind of dipping into my coffee, beer, and social fund. But seriously, there are expenses here, and any help is hugely appreciated. It would help me free up uh, some more time, which would lead to more episodes, different types of episodes, and better and more frequent info and resources on the website. Uh, 
there's so much to learn on this on in politics and about our country and the government and i'm finding that there are a few places to learn it from a ground level so i'm hoping to fill that void and with your guys help you can give us a shout on twitter at we govern this and you can also shoot us an email at we at govern this.ca. So if you like what you heard and you think it's important, please share this with as many people as you can. Facebook, Twitter, email, whatever. Hopefully we can all become a little more aware and involved. So until next time, stay curious. <laughs>